the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And I might add, you forgot to mention conductor of the train. Or is that the engineer of the train? I don't know. Some comment a moment ago about getting this train wreck underway. I, yeah. Really, the abuse, unbelievable. At any rate, welcome. How are you? Good to have you with us today. It is a Wednesday, the 10th of October, and we're underway for another edition of Lifeline, as we are, of course, here in this stead each Monday through Friday from 5 until 7 p.m., addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Normally, I, I don't need to be stopped to start the show, meaning that I'm usually prepped, ready to go, and uh, just in here kind of biding my time until uh, the magic hour of 505 arrives. But I picked up a copy of a book that is over 333 pages long. Definitely not uh, light reading, that's to be sure. It is called Big Brother in the Exam Room. And if you thought you had misgivings about the Affordable Health Care Act or Obamacare or concerns about health care in America today. Oh, boy, are you in for a surprise. I thought I knew a lot about this topic until I read Twyla Braze's new book. I am in shock, and you will be too. And I'll just give you a hint. If you thought you heard the news today, Microsoft is shutting down, or Google rather, uh, is shutting down Google Plus because of a recent data breach. And we recall the Equifax data breach about a year ago. And there's been, you know, Facebook, um, Home Depot, Target, the whole list of companies that have also um, been victim of this. If, if you think for a nanosecond that any of your personal private health care records remain personal and private, yeah, you got that right. I got some Bayfront property in Reno, Nevada, I want to sell you. Twyla Braze is going to join us. You remember her. She is the president and co-founder of Citizens Council for Health Freedom. And we are going to open some eyes tonight. She'll get to that part of the conversation joining us coming up momentarily. Uh, speaking of health care, if you thought the government has made a debacle being in the healthcare business, and I think we can generally agree to that. Why does the government, at least here in California, now want to be in the abortion business as well? While the current governor has vetoed a recent bill by the California legislature, a guy that is governor to be or would want to be governor, former San Francisco Mayor Gavin Newsom, says that he thinks all 33 Cal University and um, Cal State campuses that are generally, in my opinion, occupied by adults, right? I mean, to go to school, you got to drive, got to vote, got to be old enough to go to war, drink, 
Apparently, you're also mature enough to go to university, but you need government to help you with birth control. That's what Gavin Newsom thinks. We find out why next. Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee, joins us. And, Brian, uh, we've talked about this, and I was very pleased, delightfully so, surprised to a degree, that Jerry Brown vetoed a similar measure here. Now we find the gentleman running for his replacement on the Democrat side, Gavin Newsom, reviving this notion of wanting to have this measure that essentially sets up abortion clinics on university campuses in the Cal State and University State system all across California. What's going on here? Yes, yeah, good point. And again, many thanks to you, Craig, and the listeners who who brought this to the governor once it was passed, urging his veto. He did veto it, but in his veto message of Senate Bill 320, it was almost with a snicker. And I hope we realize just how bad California is. What he asserted is that there is so much abortion available in California. And he reasserted that he's committed. This is Jerry Brown, the former Jesuit Jerry Brown. He's committed to abortion on demand. But what he said is that there are so many clinics available everywhere within a three-mile drive of any of these campuses. This is superfluidity. It is superfluous. The bill, he said, is superfluous. It's unnecessary. It was almost a celebration of the unlimited abortion and unlimited abortion funding in California. And you've correctly pointed out that RU46, this is not actually birth control. They may tell you that. This is not to prevent conception or prevent someone being pregnant. This is a very powerful artificial steroid that attacks the woman's body first. And it alters her chemistry. It alters her hormones dramatically. It can only be taken after she's missed her second period. We know there's a baby there. Everybody knows. Science knows. This is the intentional killing of that child, but by attacking mom's body first, and then she expels the child because the child had no nutrition allowed to go to it. Then she sees the kid. It's a terrible thing. There are women in California that have died from this. But ironically, the day after Jerry Brown beat on it, and we all know that Jerry Brown is an extreme pro-abortion advocate, he vetoed this because there's so much abortion in California. It was almost a celebratory veto. But Gavin Newsom said, hang on a sec. And by the way, Gavin Newsom is also the product of Jesuit education. <laughs> and he'll be glad he did in the debate the other day claim he was a Catholic. Yeah, isn't it ironic? He studied in Rome and, and apparently had Jesuit training, and this is to reflect nothing negative on the Roman Catholic Church um, or the Jesuits. In fact, we know that Roman Catholicism is, is decidedly pro-life. So why the disconnect there or why the sense of pride in, in, in rebelling against the Church, I'm not quite certain. But I do know this. That even after Jerry Brown, who has been so liberal in so much of his thinking um, as governor for the you know, 16 years, soon 16 years that he has been governor of California, and even he had the good sense to say, you know what, our campuses at the Cal State and University State System don't need to go into the abortion clinic business. Let's focus on education and, uh, you know, let the doctors, let the pharmacies 
uh, deal with all of that. So if Jerry Brown had the good sense, what is this, just pandering to the Planned Parenthood and, and Rainbow, uh, I'm sorry, the NARAL uh, branch of the Democrat Party? Is that what this is? It certainly looks like he mentioned both those organizations by name. And we see the Democrat Party now, and obviously on the national level, they have now gone full bore to the most extreme. This is not your parents' Democrat Party. This is not the party of JFK. This is an extreme ideology that dismisses the significance of human life. And really the rule of law, if you look at what Roe is, at its heart, what Roe versus Wade is about is a very basic question, and we saw this in the Kavanaugh hearings. The question is, will the law protect innocent lives? And up until 1973, every state of the nation said, that baby, somewhere along that line, that's a human baby and innocent. Our laws will protect that baby. What Roe said is, no, no state may protect that baby. And the question of the purpose of the law and protection of the in, and literally you saw Judge Kavanaugh, he was not to be considered innocent. He was considered guilty simply by the law was not to be applied to him. The principles of the law were not to be applied. This was, if you have the power and ability to take another life, if you have that power and ability, then by all means you have the right to do so. That's called the law of the jungle. This is not really progress. This is regression. And those who call themselves, you know, Orwell was very clear that language is used intentionally to mislead, and often it's the exact opposite of what they imply. This isn't progress. This is bringing us back to a disordered society of the law of the jungle. Let let me jump in real quick here, Brian, because we're coming up on a break, and and I'd like to have you complete this thought, because there's there's another side to this story, and that is even as there is discussion within the gubernatorial debate pertaining to this topic. And again, for me, it begs the question, and once again, help me understand why as a citizen, a resident, a taxpayer in this state, I should be paying for adults to have abortions at university campuses. I'm I'm still really unclear on that concept. But I want to also get your take on the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh, we haven't had a chance to speak since that transpired on Monday, and to um, get your sense as to whether or not his confirmation is going to be in favor of preventing things from like this eventually happening in the future. Stay with us for just another second, if you would. Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee, is with us. We're talking about a measure passed by the California State Legislature, vetoed by Governor Jerry Brown barely a month and a half ago, that would have mandated that all 10 of the University of California, all 23 California State University campuses, act as dispensaries for abortifacients, essentially turning them into all miniature abortion clinics. Jerry Brown found it unnecessary, and he vetoed the measure, Now we're finding out that Gavin Newsom, who would be governor of California, is out touting it's a wonderful idea and that he would subscribe to both Planned Parenthood and NARAL's position on abortifacients and the connection between abortifacients and dispensing them on university state-run campuses. Why? 
We'll get back to more of our conversation. And Twyla Braze is going to join us coming up in a moment, too. But right now, Michael Bennett joins us. He gives us a look at traffic on this Wednesday at 516. Hey, Michael, what's going on out there? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Yeah, I was wondering, otherwise, boy, what would that tuition look like? Plus the commute. <laughs> Welcome back to the program. 520 as we continue our conversation with Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. Um, let me mention, by the way, before I forget, tomorrow is our annual Pastors Appreciation Luncheon, the 25th annual event. And it is completely packed in. That's it. No more tickets available, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm just mentioning this to remind pastors, don't forget, the luncheon is tomorrow, 11 a.m. at the Marriott in Fremont. And we will have highlights for you, including the keynote address by Pastor Philip DeCourcy on this program tomorrow night at 5 o'clock. So be tuned in for that. All right. We're talking with Brian Johnston about this measure that was vetoed by Governor Brown that now gubernatorial candidate Gavin Newsom is saying he fully would support the notion of providing abortifacients at all 33 California state and university campuses at taxpayer expense, of course. And I'm curious, Brian, and and certainly it's a bit early to tell, but there have been a lot of talk about, well, gee, if we get some changes on the United States Supreme Court, um, to be sure, there might be a greater opportunity to see more states' rights returned, that questions like this need to really be answered at the state level, not the federal level. That having been said, um, what is your sense in terms of the overall plus for the pro-life movement in the uh, confirmation of uh, Brett Kavanaugh? Yes, well, I think there, there is a plus there, but it's not what people may think. And again, we've spoken of this many times, Craig, on your program that Christians need to realize that the Supreme Court is not merely a Supreme Tribunal that determines everything in this nation. And should Brett Kavanaugh vote and vote for our direction, it literally means he won't do anything. And what that means is, we just talked about Roe, the only thing that Brett Kavanaugh can do the only thing he can do in that office is say, you, you listener, if in your state you would like to see some kind of legal protection for a baby in the womb, well, if you want to, well, then you better get involved and have state legislators pass that law. You can do something. Brett Kavanaugh will not end abortion. But Kavanaugh, whatever his decision is, the most likely scenario that we will see is that a very reasonable bill, we're seeing bills like this, there's all sorts of ideas out there. People want to, you and I know this, just people want personhood tomorrow, ban all abortions, that protect zygotes tomorrow. Well, that's not going to happen. And the Supreme Court, to be honest, is not going to permit that, banning all abortions. That won't happen. But you will likely see some state that will take a law almost almost identical to California's law in 1973. California's law in 1973 said, you know, those are human babies. And the state of California had a law that now would be considered so radical. But it said, you know what, if you're going to do something with that baby, 
you better have a very, very good reason. And the standard litany, what about rape, what about incest, what about the life of the mother, what about severe fetal deformity? But after five months, we're asking you to not kill that baby. Again, that's a baby that now can survive outside the womb. That's a baby that you hold in your arms, and it will wriggle and cry when you hold that baby. And so the state of California had that law. And again, it's because those are human babies. And what happens in an abortion is something must die. Again, this is it's critically important. If these are canine abortions, then puppies die. In equine abortions, horses die. Ponies. In human abortions, a baby must die. But the laws we're likely going to see won't restrict them until after five months along, and those won't go into effect unless citizens in the various states, in California is one, that citizens have not been engaged. They have not been paying attention. You brought up Gavin Newsom. Why did we get Jerry Brown? Why did we have SB 320 passed? You know why? Because citizens have not cared about civics. And so I am leading this right now where we are. We're in election season, and I strongly advise that if you do care about, don't bemoan abortion. And, and it's wonderful that we take care of those kids who aren't killed today. I think it's great that we're willing to help them. But the reality is because some kids have escaped this human holocaust, it doesn't mean that there's a human. There's not a human holocaust. That's exactly right. And, and you know, the other notion here, too, is that I think we need to accept the fact that this is going to be um, this battle was lost in increments. We will win this battle again in increments and it starts with all of us being involved this november election another critical opportunity i've said on this program many 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 times down through the years in in not every presidential cycle but pretty close to it that don't look the other way in relationship to the potential impact of the next president because he can potentially influence the direction of the high court and we've seen already Donald Trump place two individuals on that court. So I think, again, this is a uh, call to alertness, come out of the slumber and sleep, and, and be aware of what is at stake here at so many levels. Our thanks to Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. For joining us tonight with that update. All right, I want to pivot to a, a not altogether dissimilar topic in, in relationship to health care. And we began posing the question, why are campus uh, in the uh, UC and state system getting involved in health care and acting as dispensaries, uh, prescription dispensaries, et cetera, et cetera? And I think that's a very a valid question. There's another one that's companion to it in the broader picture of health care in America today, and that is essentially this. In a day and an age of the Affordable Health Care Act, HIPAA laws, and electronic health records, do we have a health care system today that is um, centrally focused on the care of the patient, or is it more paperwork focused? Meaning, um, is it all about the patient or gathering of data and of course, the exchange of money. My next guest would suggest that, yep, it seems to have sadly shifted in the data direction, 
And there is so much more at risk here than I think most of us really realize. Twyla Braze is president, co-founder of Citizens Council for Health Freedom. She hosts the Daily Health Freedom Minute. You've seen her on CNN, Fox, NBC. She's a certified public health nurse and the author of a new book called Big Brother in the Exam Room, The Dangerous Truth About Electronic Health Records. Twyla, great to have you back on the program. I have to admit I was almost late for the start of the show today because I couldn't put the book down. As much as we have talked about health care and the ACA going back years on this program, there were things inside of your new book I wasn't even aware about that, quite frankly, um, have got me back on my heels. I, I always thought that there were certain protections, at least, that were inherent to the so-called HIPAA laws that now I'm discovering actually place people's personal health data as much at risk as the breach into Equifax, Facebook, Home Depot, Target. Uh, We talked at the start of the show about the recent uh, data breach at Google Plus that led Google to shut down that platform. And it seems to me as if all of it's hanging out there in the open, and it's frightening. Right. Well, thanks so much, um, and thanks so much for opening it up and reading it and, and seeing what most people don't know and what I would like everybody to know. And uh, you are so correct. The electronic health record, uh, for those who um, read it, they'll notice that it's not all electronic health records. It's the government-mandated, government-designed, government-certified electronic health record that doctors and hospitals are forced to have in the exam room for purposes that have nothing to do with the patient, nothing to do with taking care of the patient, and its primary purpose is really data collection, data reporting, profiling, predictive analytics, and um, uh, reporting to the government for these new payment systems that are going to pay doctors for value uh, rather than for actual expertise or time spent with the patient or anything else. It'll, all the data will be used to come up with formulas that determine how much the doctor will be paid or will not be paid and therefore will control the practice of medicine. Um, it will allow the control of the practice of medicine by outsiders far from the exam room. And, you know, this is... Ironically, this is largely marketed on a, a pretty plausible, uh, believable uh, uh, propaganda line that ultimately is very much a lie, and that is the sense that, well, as we are placing all of these records in electronic form, it will help physicians and healthcare providers coordinate care, provide synchronized health data, um, will record prescription use. They, they talk about all of these wonderful benefits uh, with little scant, if any, acknowledgement of the risk that is inherent to all of this, uh, a risk in terms of not only your own personal data being breached by just about any uh, character out there, but the fact that, and as your book delineates, more and more doctors are saying, you know what, I'm, I'm no longer in the healthcare profession. I'm working as a part-time, if not half my time in the office is spent working as a data entry clerk here. And, uh, and, and this is very troubling because it really has been a bait and switch on the American public, hasn't it? Right. Yes. Yeah, so the public, 
the uh, patient and the doctor are now working for others, and that's that's something that the the public can gradually see that, I think, when they come in and the first thing that they get is some long questionnaire to detail all this information about their life, which is really about data gathering, which uh, you've probably noticed that I have a, towards the end of the book, I have a list of action steps for individuals, for doctors, for uh, state legislators, and for Congress. And, you know, patients need to actually see what's happening here and stand up against this um, data uh, data collection because they really are building comprehensive profiles on individuals. So they ask you to do that, and then if you say no, the, and they'll say, well, you know, I can't continu- continue registering you if you don't fill out this data. Well, well, figure it out. Call the manager. Figure out how to do it because I'm not going to give you all that information for you to use against me, for you to use against my doctor, for you to build a profile, for you to decide whether I'm going to be a healthy person in the future or a not healthy person in the future so that you can bug me to, you know, exercise more or eat better or uh, be tested more often or whatever, right? That's where everything is, is going, and I don't think the American public understands that. And then there's the portal. So a lot of your a lot of your listeners are being asked to, you know, go to the portal. Well, I have never signed up for the portal, and I won't ever be in the portal, because the portal is part of the mandate from the government for, uh, I think, really, to get us all to, to like these electronic health records, to say, well, we can just go in and get our data. Well, you can't get all of your data, and while you're there, you're going to add more of your data. They call it patient-generated data, so they like the idea that you'll go in there and you'll add your own information to all the information that they're collecting, right? Building a bigger and bigger dossier and having more information to use against the patient and to use against the doctor. Um, so, you know, uh, it's both a surveillance system and a command and control system, and that's, that's what I try to lay out in the book is that, you know, it's not just a surveillance system. It's really controlling the doctor's hands. It's tying the doctor's hands, and then it's a safety problem. I detail how many patients have died, how many are harmed, how you know they're trying to stop events from taking place um, when the alerts are wrong and when uh, when when the algorithms are wrong. <laughs> and so, you know, patients are in danger from these government-mandated electronic health records, and it's my point of the book to really explain it and then to give them action steps to take. And this is not just the potentiality of a reach of data and it's somehow getting into hands that would have nefarious intent. Um, You delineate in the book multiple cases where erroneous information has been linked with patients. So, for example, um, a patient's health care record and their prescription record are erroneously linked together. And in some cases, that could very much be Fatal, and I got to tell you, even from my own experience, the number of times, and I'm a cancer survivor, so I've seen every doctor under the sun in the last three years. And I got to tell you, the number of times I go into physician A and says, "Okay, I want to go over the list of your prescriptions here," and starts rattling off prescriptions, and no, that's wrong, that's wrong, or you're talking about a, a prescription that I was given one time four years ago. Why are you asking me if I'm still on this? Well, I'll update it and go see another physician four months later, and guess what? They're asking the same questions. And it's quite apparent that even though they will tell you this all seems to be convenient and linked and current and, you know, 
putting in the hands of your physician every bit of critical data that they would need to properly care for you at any given moment. I call nonsense on that one. All right, we're going to take a time out, come back to more of our conversation. A look today at Big Brother in the Exam Room, the dangerous truth about electronic health records. Nurse Twyla Braze is with us tonight. She is the president, co-founder of the Citizens Council for Health Freedom. Back with more as we discuss this on Lifeline. All right, 536. Let's get updated on traffic now. The latest for you, Michael Bennett. What's going on out there? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You've probably been told that it's a matter of safety and convenience and the ability to coordinate care, provide synchronized health data, permanent record of your prescriptions. All sounds good, right? Yeah. This is also a way to invade doctor-patient privilege and create, as my guest tonight suggests, a medical surveillance system. And you can better believe insurance companies and healthcare providers that have a financial stake in all of this are very, very interested in the collection of this data. Twyla Braze is with us. Twyla is the president, co-founder of the Citizens Council for Health Freedom, the book Big Brother in the Exam Room, The Dangerous Truth About Electronic Health Records. You talked Twyla, to physicians all across the country and uh, to a person. They all have bemoaned not only the huge burden that's been placed on many of their practices where uh, they feel suddenly they're in the, the, uh, the data management business as opposed to uh, health care. Um, and as I suggested, uh, medication lists can frequently be wrong. They're almost always wrong whenever I go into the doctor. Um, and what's what's troubling about all of this is that the, the even though they try to say, well, it's going to be uniform data, the, the reality is that the, the risk factor that this creates is pretty significant, isn't it? Well, I would say that it's really important to understand that um, Hillary had a national health information, electronic health information system in her bill, and President Obama and the Democrats, it was four weeks after his inauguration when the mandate for the electronic health record went in. So, you know, you just have to realize that this is considered foundational to a single-payer socialized Medicare for all healthcare system. If you socialize the health data system, you can socialize the doctors. You can take control of the doctors. So, so you know the the purpose of this has not, is not, and has never been uh, about taking care of patients. As a matter of fact, what doctors will tell you, I had one a doctor tell me that he's given up trying to find the uh, nurse's notes before and after surgery because he doesn't know where to find them. You know, they're in different screens. They've got pull-down menus of 250 different types of procedures and CPT codes. You know, it's it's made it com- uh, confusing and complex. A lot of the new doctors are just doing copy and paste, and so you know, you know that commercial about where's the where's the beef. Mm-hmm. You know, the doctors are trying to find the meat of the matter on the patients, and there's so much data they're they're trying to see you know, look through it to see if there's something that they don't and shouldn't miss on the patient. But so much copy and pasting it just makes it all very confusing. 
So I think to understand that the electronic health record, there were electronic health records before the government mandated this version of electronic health record, and those worked for the doctor to take care of the patient. But these don't work for the patient or the doctor, and they weren't meant to work for the patient or the doctor. They're meant to seize control of the exam room and to build a surveillance system. I would uh, just tell your uh, listeners that HIPAA, so there are there probably some of them are still thinking HIPAA protects their privacy, but 2.2 million entities can have access to patient data without patient consent, and that if if those who hold the data choose to share it, and they don't have to get patient consent, and that is a federal number from a 2010 regulation, and that 2.2 million entities does not include the local, state, and government agencies that can also have access under HIPAA. So this HIPAA is a data disclosure rule. It is not a data privacy rule. And and uh, while people think that HIPAA protects privacy, they'll be calm about this entire thing. But when they realize that it opened up their medical record, exposes them, allows all sorts of outsiders to have access to sell their data, to profit off their data, to build profiles of them, to harm them, to control their doctors, that's when the public will get alarmed. And we, we would like to get rid of HIPAA. We'd like it rescinded, redacted, repealed, whatever. Or we'd like a mandate for patient consent for the sharing of information because that's the only way that we're going to get back to freedom. So these electronic health records and the HIPAA privacy laws are essentially non sequiturs. And, you know, what's what's disturbing about this is you begin to build all these layers when you look at all of the people that have access to your medical records, and it's not just the doctors and the nurses and the data people and the billing people and the pharmacies. But now we've even opened up the door where corporations come in and say, well, we're concerned about your health. And so we need you to sign up and uh, take these classes and do this exercising and do this reporting. And of course, we won't share any of that data unless you give permission, but we're going to do this to help you feel better and be stronger and more healthier. And to reward you for all this wonderful stuff, we're going to reduce your health care costs. We'll reduce the cost of your copay, or we'll, uh, you know, change the amount that you have to contribute uh, to, uh, to the monthly insurance premiums. And at the end of the day, you now have nameless, faceless, third-party organizations that have no connection with your doctor, your hospital, uh, any health care provider that now have access to all that data. What's to stop any of these people from any of these locations Twyla, from going in and downloading all the data on millions of people that they're tied into and then using that information for who knows what nefarious, uh, you know, information. I mean, just beyond the, 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 the risk when it comes to uh, your personal information and your financial life, this could be disastrous for everybody. Right. There's more information. There's one thing that I say in the book is your Social Security number is nothing compared to your medical record. And it's, your medical record is very, very valuable on the street. It's very valuable for many reasons. And for all those who have uh, legalized access through HIPAA, you know, it's just a gold mine. This is a 21st century version of a gold mine. And But, you know, one of the things that's happening with the doctors who are so frustrated with this system because it gets in the way of them taking care of patients, which is what they went to school because that's what they love to do. And um, 48%, 48% 
of physicians, of um, 17,000 physicians surveyed, 48% of them said that they're going to retire early, take a non-clinical job, um, reduce their hours, go part-time. That's half of our doctors. Half of our doctors are thinking of leaving because this is not the job they signed up for. And a lot of them feel ethically challenged by the fact that they don't have any idea how this data is going to be used against their patients. Well, and let me quote from one of the doctors that you interviewed for the book who says, and I quote, healthcare used to be about patients, nurses, and doctors. Now it's about insurers, lawyers, and IT people. Wow. I want to pause for a moment because as we've hopefully sufficiently scared you out of your wits, the bigger, more more overreaching, overarching question here is, what do you do about all this? I mean, do we just have to kind of say, well, you know, George Orwell, brave new world, we just can't have to accept it all. Do we really? We're going to come to that part of the equation. Twyla Braze is with us. It's an exhaustive book, over 330-something pages. Uh, it's an eye-opener, i got to tell you that. Uh, you will not be very happy with what's been done to you in all of this scheming and planning of health care and we talk about universal payer and single payer and the Amer- the Affordable Care Act and all of this stuff. And no, no matter where your political persuasion is on either end of the spectrum, this ought to be troubling. What's the line? Time to be worried. Very, very worried. We're going to get back to our conversation. President, co-founder of the Citizens Council for Health Freedom, Twyla Brays, big brother in the exam room. More as Lifeline continues. All righty, 548. Let's get caught up here. Got the latest with Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Wake up call. What you think about the disastrous state of healthcare in America is far worse than you ever imagined, not only because of concerns about double digit inflation costs, rising health care, doctors saying, I'm just fed up with it getting out of the business. Uh, Try dealing with workman's comp. Uh, uh, Twyla Braze is with us, president and co-founder of the Citizens Council for Health Freedom, author of a new book called Big Brother in the Exam Room. Information on the web, by the way, at bigbrotherintheexamroom.com. I have a friend who's dealing with workman's comp. And, uh, you know, basically what they've shared with me is the local doctor doesn't decide what's best. It's all based on some insurance bureaucrat back in Hartford, Connecticut, or wherever, and they prescribe um, what you get, what kind of treatment, how many treatments you receive, based on, you know, well, this type of energy, uh, injury ought to require X number of days worth of physical therapy and so much medication. And once you hit those limits that are sitting in a book somewhere, that's it, you're done. Whether or not you're better is immaterial. They say, well, you know, that's what they prescribe. This is what the, 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 the protocol is. And it seems as if this is about health care rationing, data collection. I mean, it's all contrary. It's all 180 degrees polar opposite of what we've been told, Twyla. Right. And that's, uh, you know, and I just look at HIPAA, and I think this is one of the largest deceptions foisted uh, upon the American people. And when they talk about things like care coordination, you know, whenever you hear words like quality, value, care coordination, you need to ask somebody, whoever's saying it, you need to ask them, what do you mean? Define the word. Because care coordination is not just you getting the doctor, doc, your records from Dr. A to Dr. B, which is what you want, right? 
it's having full access to your records for whom, whomever and however they want to use them for profiling, for analytics, for, you know, for whatever. That's what they call care coordination. But that's not what you would call care coordination. And, and value, of course, what a wonderful thing. You know, I want to be paid for, I want a valuable service, I want a valuable doctor, I want the service to be a value. But value does not mean what you think it is. I almost put the um, formula in the book. It's <laughs> it's long. It's many symbols. It's 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 you know incomprehensible. But that is the algorithm, the formula that's used to decide whether or how much your doctor will get paid, and and that's not what you really want. And that's not how you work either. You know, what if you paid your plumber that way, right? Okay, you finish the job. And then I'll decide how valuable it was to me, and I will pay you accordingly. And no, I cannot tell you in advance how much that will be. And so nobody, nobody will do that. That's actually a socialized way of that. You know, that is socialism. When when you don't get paid for your work, your skills, your time, your nothing. Somebody else gets to decide the value of your work, and you have to you have to accept it. And that's going to really limit access to care for patients. It's going to make orthopedists probably choose maybe a cheaper joint, right? Because they don't know how much they'll be paid. Will they be paid to have a more expensive joint for your hip, right? So all those things are going to make it worse for patients. And I, you know, one of the things that I point out in like the fifth, the fifth um, paragraph of the entire book is the reason we are at this place is because of third-party payment. You know, third parties don't pay for your fire insurance. They don't pay for your groceries. They don't pay for anything else that's really important to you. But they're paying for your medical care, and they're paying for your medical insurance. And we're calling it medical care and medical insurance because there's no such thing really as health care. Really, really there isn't. And so, um, and so because, uh, because somebody else is paying the bill, They've decided that they can control what happens to you in the exam room. And Congress did this, and I have an entire timeline at the back of the book to show exactly how Congress did this, starting with the War Board in 1942 and the movement into um, employer-sponsored coverage. I mean, what else would you allow your employer to pay for? What else would you allow your employer to take $20,000 of your compensation and give it to an insurance company and do that every year? What could you have done with that $20,000? But now because all of these, the employers, the insurance, the government, are paying the bills, they think that they can have your data, that your data is theirs, and that they can control your doctors. And that's what has to really, that is what must be changed which is one of the reasons we started um, the Wedge of Health Freedom at jointhewedge.com to try and call doctors out, out of third-party payment, a direct relationship with their patient, cash-based payments like the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, right, cash-based, affordable, personable visits. Um, that's where we have to go. And, and the, the Wedge practices, they, they hold your information to be very private, Right, they don't let it out onto the uh, diagram. I have a di- diagram in the book of the National Health Information Network that's being built that patients don't know about either. So, you know, there are things that have to be done, but you have to look to the root, and the root is third-party payment. That's the real root, and that's why we are where we are today. But we can, we can take Big Brother out of the exam room, but we first have to see him, and that's what the book is meant to do. And really an eye-opener, as I alluded to earlier, because many people 
um, have a very inaccurate or incomplete picture of what they think health care is or what they've been sold upon it. And as you point out on the book, there's blame to go all the way around here. There is manipulation going on by hospitals, by pharmaceutical companies, by pharmacies, by some physicians, by insurance companies. Uh, I mean, the, the, the degree to which, and here's, what I guess, what people need to understand. Is this an accurate observation that essentially is the entire healthcare industry and everybody behind it, meaning those that both pay and those benefit, against the patient? I mean, isn't that basically the way the odds are lined up right now? That's right. The patient and the doctor are cogs in a system that is not for the patient or the doctor, but for everybody on the outside. They still need the patient and the doctor, otherwise we wouldn't have this thing called the healthcare system for them to profit off of it. So they need them, but they're just there more as showpieces that they kind of work around. And meanwhile, they're using the patient and the doctor to get all of this data, to to build these new businesses, um, to restrict access to care so that there's more money in the coffers as a result of doing that. You know, the government bureaucracies are just getting bigger, so, you know, they're feeding off the system too. But the patient, the patient who is the purpose for the entire healthcare system, the patient is the one on the low end of the totem pole here, and the doctors are being forced against many of their ethics um, and against what they had dreamed of and wanted to do to take care of patients. They're being forced to practice a different way. And so really, the entire healthcare system, the safety of patients, the uh, freedom, freedom itself, is threatened here by this system that is no longer working for the patient or letting the doctors work for the patient. And creating a system that is largely uh, forcing physicians to be dependent upon data and nothing more as opposed to knowledge and experience and intuition when it comes to caring for a patient. And, you know, you you talked about early on in the book the fact that the whole mandate here, uh, the implementation of same, has been mayhem. Uh, in enforcing physicians. I mean, can you imagine saying to a physician, look, you've got to implement this and become a data entry clerk. Otherwise, uh, we're not going to fully compensate you for any Medicare payments that you're due and essentially force doctors and hospitals to comply, not because it's better, not because it improves the quality of care, but because they can use the information against you against you financially, against you uh, in terms of, of, of information collection on you. And, you know, this is, this is everything that Orwell warned against, all wrapped up into one thing. And every time somebody comes along and says, we know what to do, single payer is the answer, it's just a step further into the abyss of the mess that we're already in. And sadly... Um, you find a handful of doctors and patients across America lined up against everybody else. It's frightening, and we need to wake up and smell the cocoa. Big Brother in the exam room, the dangerous truth about electronic health records, written by Twyla Bray. She is a certified public health nurse and the president and co-founder of Citizens Council for Health Freedom. And uh, you can get information about the book by going to Simple, bigbrotherintheexamroom.com. That's bigbrotherintheexamroom.com. Well, you sure shook me up. We appreciate uh, Twyla the time and uh, the insights, and hopefully folks will read the book, get shook up too, and then do something about it. Twyla Braze, bigbrotherintheexamroom.com. 
Okay, we're at 6 o'clock. That means we're going to get you an update on some headline news. We'll take a look at traffic. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Bible and science on the theme of creation and evolution. Best-selling other author and scientist Hugh Ross joins us as Lifeline continues. Thought that was easy for me to say, huh? All right, let's get a look at what's going on as we turn to the world of traffic. And Michael Bennett's got the latest from the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.